Welcome to About the Winelands. In this show, we will be chatting to leaders, influencers, wine producers, restaurants, and other role players. Tune in every Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday for your latest episodes. You will find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram TV, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Before we start today's show, I just want to take the opportunity to say thank you to our sponsor, Lisa Loves Wines. Lisa also shared with me that she has a very special offer for our listeners. I'm not sure if our listeners are aware, but magnum-sized bottles are becoming very fashionable in Europe, and I personally think that South Africa will follow suit shortly. So as part of her Big is Beautiful campaign, Lisa will be offering a 20% discount on the Chronicle 1.5 liter from Rimwerte. This is a 1.5 liter Magnum, and I will ask the winemaker to give us a bit more information on this wine later in the show. This is a great deal. Um, Father's Day is just around the corner, so I would suggest that um, you go grab this. We will leave the details as links on how to get this awesome offer inside the description. Now, on with today's show. Good day, everyone, and welcome back to About the Winelands. Today, I'm talking to Rob and Chris, Chris Baustreet from um, Remwerte, uh, brother to a brother team. Welcome, guys, um, to About the Winelands. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. So, um, I, really, I think our listeners will be really interested to hear how you um, guys, as brothers, ended up working together and how you managed to work together without killing each other. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay, I'll just give you a bit of a background. So Chris and I and, you know, our family, we're originally from Johannesburg. We, our father was uh, involved in construction. They're mainly developing lodges and that sort of thing, game lodges, but always very passionate about wine. And in 1993, uh, him and my mom decided they wanted to make the move to the Western Cape and, uh, you know, actually get into the wine industry. And... Uh, in 1994, they found a property early or end of 1993. And in, in April 1994, we moved down during the elections. Chris and I were young. I was 10. Chris was 12. So we grew up here in Stellenbosch. And uh, yeah, that's that's how we arrived here. But uh, we went to school here. Uh, after school, um, Chris studied winemaking at Stellenbosch University. Um, and then when I finished school, I went more the marketing route and ended up in the beer industry. So Chris... Uh, after traveling internationally and that, he came back in 2007 and then I came back in 2011. Um, and then in terms of working together, I think, you know, we're quite lucky that we both got very separate sides of the business and separate sort of interests in terms of Chris loves the vineyards and the winemaking side. Uh, he's obviously also very helpful with the sales side, but uh, I prefer more the business marketing side and uh, don't tend to get my hands dirty as often as Chris does. So I think that that's important for us is that we've each got very separate sides to the business. And uh, we, although we, you know, as a family business, obviously we do help each other out a lot in, in, in each other's department, but we, we sort of, uh, yeah, we, we, have, we focus on, on our separate interests in the business really. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. And then, and then, uh, just to add to that, so just about Remwerte itself, the, the farm, we, so we obviously bought in 1994, as Rob mentioned, and 
moved down. But the farm's been, we still got the title deed from 1812. And uh, it was going before that, but that's kind of a year when they gave out a lot of the title deeds to the area. And we actually, the third family to own and live on the property. And then we're obviously second gen, me and Robert, obviously second generation. We took over for my dad uh, on the farm itself. Very interesting. Have the farm always been under vines or did you guys start the, win the winery or? No, it's, it's, been, it's always been under vine. So um, we actually, a few years ago, someone from, a lady from Australia emailed us and she was researching her family history. They were originally from South Africa. One of her ancestors was the, the constable or the local police captain at Klapmuts, which is just down the road from us. And uh, he was there from 1790 to 1792. And then on the records, it shows that after that, he made a living making wine on, it was then De Remwechter. It's now just Remwechter. So we know it was going from then. Um, and they, they mentioned winemaking then. But when we took over, there was no winemaking happening. It was just, just growing. Um, but vines have been here from the beginning, but obviously it's changed a little in that all the vines were planted kind of in the valleys and lower down, where since we've moved on, we've moved all the vines higher up, so sort of up onto the slopes, looking for more exposed sites um, and sort of steeper slopes, uh, better sites for vineyards. Well, that's interesting. So you guys actually were the first people to actually make your own wines. I assume before that it all went to a cooperative or something, the grapes. Exactly. Yeah. So like most of, like a lot of the South African wine industry, you know, it was, especially in apartheid, it was very, um, everything was kind of quite controlled and most of the stuff went to, to cooperative sellers. There was very, there were very few independent sellers, but uh, yeah, my dad made the first wines here in 1995. So um, you have, a, your wines are exciting. Can you tell us a bit about your wines and also um, the, the free to be wines? What does that mean? And, and you know, how did it all start? Yeah, so I think first and foremost, we, you know, we're passionate about being in a state. So from vineyard to bottle, we, we do on the property itself. Um, so, I mean, the Remwichter range of wines are quite established. Obviously, my dad having started making them, um, I think myself and Rob, we've refined it a little in that we've cut one or two lines and uh, sort of refined our portfolio. So we have six main wines uh, that we produce now, um, which are, uh, we do two Shenan Blancs. So Shenan's our main white focus under Remwichter. Um, and then we do a varietal pinotage, a varietal Merlot, then our Chronicle, which is a Cape blend, and then our reserve is our Sir Thomas Kalinin. So we've got yeah, six wines under the Remwerchter stable, which as mentioned, you know, Remwerchter quite established. We've been making it for a long time. We've got to stay consistent. And uh, so people kind of know what to expect. We're free to be, we started about three years ago. Uh, four years ago now. The idea behind the free to be was to uh, just allow uh, a little bit of space in the in the cellar to be a little bit more creative and um, to try different techniques, maybe different varietals. So it's basically wines that are not under our Remwerchter, you know, uh, they, they, they're not, uh, they don't have to be as consistent as the Remwerchter wines. So we try and keep it interesting with the free to be by 
changing you know varietals or styles every year so we do a red and a white every year and there's no kind of recipe on what it is um but generally the reds we try and make fresh light and you know really juicy easy drinking reds and then the whites we've varied we've done a skin ferment shannon uh visor riesling more recently but uh yeah so the free to be is basically limited very limited quantities but something that uh, allows me to play a little bit in the cellar. That's interesting. Do you think um, um, that the, the actual um, market is also changing? Maybe, you know, it, a lot of people I talk to mention that millennials are changing our tastes a little bit. What is, is this part of the reason why you guys are experimenting? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, the, the free to be creates an opportunity for us to create, uh, well, to make exciting wine. Um, that opened up possibly uh, new outlets for us, um, you know, high-end restaurants, something that sommeliers could really get excited about, skin ferment uh, wines and interesting cultivars. Um, so it's basically opened up a few doors for us where, you know, like I said, the Remachter brand is very consistent and long-running um, and the free TV is more of, of sort of a natural um, natural style of winemaking and uh, there's which is obviously on trend at the moment and internationally we found as well with our importers in in the uk and the usa um there definitely is a market for a wine like the free to be there's there's a lot of excitement about um you know really minimal interference natural style winemaking and and interesting methods in the cellar as well so uh that that wine has has opened up some doors for us in in those markets uh, and it's, I think, it, like you said, it tends to be the millennials. What is the um, situation with uh, vegan wines and that whole issue? So, yeah, so, I mean, vegan is basically no animal products. And uh, as I'm sure you know, with wine, the additives or stuff that you're allowed to add uh, would would surprise most people. I think, uh, you know, the, the number of... Yeah, like yeah, the number of products you're able to add and where they come from is pretty scary. But uh, I think one of our things from from when my dad started was that we believe wines made in the vineyard. So when it comes to cellar, we don't we don't want to add anything and we don't want to take anything away. So we want what you taste in the bottle to be what comes from the vineyard. So we do on across all of our. Our wines, we have a sort of a minimal interference or intervention philosophy. So put a lot of work into the vineyards to getting the grapes right, bring them into the cellar, let them ferment, mature them and then bottle them. So maybe just a little bit of sulfur before bottling, but everything's unfined, unfiltered. And uh, yeah, just basically trying, trying to keep, keep our wines as authentic as possible. But vegan, I mean, so one of the main, especially in red wines and white wines, one of the main sort of animal derivative products is, is uh, protein or, or albumin from eggs so that, that they use for fining, specifically in reds. And uh, fining obviously is removing some of the excess tannin uh, and it's kind of a round and, rounding and sort of softening process in the wine. But obviously by adding that, it makes the wine not, not vegan. So um, yeah, it's a bit of a loaded kind of, uh, Sort of subject, but uh, yeah, I mean, we, we are we don't because we don't add anything. We are sort of considered vegan. We're not just uh, certified by anyone, but uh, yeah, that's that's basically that. 
It's going to be, I think it's going to be an interesting space going forward. So you guys are also involved with craft beers. Can you tell us if that sounds like, uh, you know, like also a bit of fun. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I think uh, the craft beers came about. Um, so I worked for SAB before I came to the business. And uh, I, I left SAB in sort of middle of 2011 when craft beer was really starting to get onto the scene. I had a few outlets of mine in Cape Town it's, that started delisting mainstream beers uh, and they were just listing the, the craft beers and there weren't a lot around back then. Um, and uh, Chris and I have always enjoyed um, complex, interesting beers, um, particularly Belgian style. And uh, through friends of ours, we just, with friends of ours, we, we realized actually it is possible to, to make your own brewing setup. So we made a 50 liter setup. We started bringing some beer. I found it quite boring, but Chris enjoyed it. So he made, he started to make, uh, he made quite a lot of beer and it was more than we could drink. So we, we just started selling it from the tasting room and uh, there was quite a big, quite a lot of interest, quite a lot of demand. So we developed the brand, which is Wild Beast, which is named after the Wildebeest, which we have in our, in our game camp here in front of the tasting room. And uh, we started sitting out of the tasting room, like I said, and then there was interest from other regions. I had a friend who had a distribution company in Joburg. He wanted um, another guy in PE. So then we built a bigger setup, a 500 liter setup. And yeah, by the end of 2012, we were, we were bringing flat out and uh, selling a lot of beers. And um, that was the early days of the craft beer sort of industry before all the other breweries popped up all over the country. So um, it, it, it went quite well. And uh, you know, our focus has always been wine. So that was sort of a side project. project. And, uh, you know, as soon as it became a bit more competitive and everything like that, um, you know, we, we decided just to focus on the wine. So we, we still sell the beer from the tasting room. We've got a few retail stores in and around Stellenbosch that stock it. Um, and uh, so it's, it's, we don't make a lot. Um, we actually outsource the brewing now because we needed the brewery for wine storage. Um, so we've got a friend who brews for us and we, so the wild beast beers are still available, but just from the tasting and a few retail outlets around Stellenbosch. Oh, that's amazing. You mentioned the game, the game and camp you have. Tell us a little bit about the game on the farm and what you guys are doing in terms of conservation. So, yeah, so, I mean, basically the game started just as a, you know, moving down from Johannesburg, we used to spend a lot of time in the low felt. And like Rob mentioned, my dad, when he, before we came down here, he developed a few game reserves and wildlife has always been a passion of his. And uh, I think when we set up down here, we removed a lot of the vineyards, as I mentioned, in the valleys. Um, so the valleys were then standing open. So we've now um, put some springbok, wildebeest, zebra, uh, into these, into, into the camps in the valleys. And uh, it's more just a, a fun, you know, fun to have around. They're kind of like pets. So uh, it's a uh, yeah, area that we can't, or that we wouldn't really use for vineyards anymore because it wouldn't give us the quality we're looking for. We've now kind of delegated to indigenous fauna and flora. So it's something interesting for visitors to have a look at. And it's just a fun, you know, fun thing for us to have around, you know, rather than having the land just standing open, we've put some wildlife on it. So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So you yeah. mentioned Cullinan and the Cullinan diamond. I'd love to hear that. I think everybody would love to hear that story. Yeah, so that was, you know, it's a bit of our family history. Um, so the, 
obviously we were, that's why we wanted to give his name uh, to to the wine uh, to our reserve red. Um, it he came over with his parents um, in yeah the eighteen it was the mid eighteen hundreds and uh, his dad started a a transport company and they were transporting obviously with ox wagons sort of up and down the coast up into the eastern cape and that's and on one of the trips his dad died quite soon after they started it so uh, Thomas Killinan was was quite young he was our great great grandfather he took over the business but it was never really his passion um, and he ended up so he was about geology um, and obviously at that time he, he kind of started following a bit of the diamond rush and the gold rush and went to Kimberley and got there too late and then eventually ended up in Johannesburg and uh, he started a building company so he was sort of out of any kind of mining or anything like that and then he used to go out and uh, sort of look for semi-precious stones and then polish it was kind of his hobby polish them up and sell them and um, in you know, he found in doing that he found a volcanic shoot outside Johannesburg it's where the town of Cullinan is today um, that where he thought he might find diamonds and ended up buying the farm uh, where this volcanic shoot is on. They started mining it. And in 1903, he found the biggest, it was at the time the biggest uncut diamond that had ever been found. It's still the most valuable. It's not the biggest anymore, but it's still the most valuable in terms of clarity um, diamond that's ever been found. It was 3,000 carats. And South Africa was in the process of gaining their independence uh, from uh, from Britain, and uh, as a parting gift, uh, the Transvaal government bought this diamond from uh, from our great great grandfather and gave it to it was then the king of England, and they then cut it into two stones. Uh, well, two main stones. There are lots of other stones that came off it, but uh, the main the main or the biggest portion is now the main diamond in the scepter of the British crown jewels, and then the the next biggest portion is the main diamond in the crown of the crown jewels, and it's called the greater and the lesser star of Africa. But uh, the Cullinan diamond is, is what the diamond was called. But he, at the time, he basically gave the diamond away. The, the Transvaal government determined the price, which was very low. And, and they taxed it as well. And uh, so well, nothing, he, he nothing got Nothing has knighted. changed in that area, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he got, he got knighted obviously because it was such a unique find. But unfortunately, yeah, the, the sir doesn't get passed down. So me and Rob aren't sirs, but uh, we, yeah, we've named our reserve red, which is a Bordeaux-inspired blend after him, the Sir Thomas Cullen. So tell me, have you guys at least been invited to the palace for tea at some point or not yet? No, my, our grand, our grand's been, uh, my grand and her, uh, her sister have had tea with the queen over there and then when she was out here but uh we have not i went to the tower of london i've been to go and see the crown jewels and i told the guard that my great great grandfather found those and he just told me to keep moving so yeah there's no uh yeah no no kind of uh, relationship there still well it's an amazing story right i'm unbelievable yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, when visitors come to your farm, what else can they, you know, they can, they're going to taste wine, they're going to see the, the Wildebeest pets and, you know, they're going to hear stories. What else can they expect to, to, to um, experience with you guys? I think, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of tasting rooms in Stenopwatch and everyone needs to have like the unique offering or, you know, some form of differentiation. So 
I think we, how we try to be different is that we, 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 the tasting room is, uh, although we're on a busy road, it's not an extremely busy tasting room. We're on quite a sharp bend and people often miss us. So we try and keep it very, um, you know, uh, welcoming and uh, there's never big crowds here. So the service is very intimate all the time. And um, it's, we, we renovated about two years ago. So there's a beautiful sort of outside area and inside area where you can sit with uh, amazing views of Stellenbosch. So you see like this whole 180 degree view of the Stellenbosch mountains with the game camp in front of you. So it's a very beautiful place to sit and do a wine tasting. And then um, other things we offer is uh, we obviously have the wine tasting and the beers. Um, and we, in terms of food offering, we do flatbread pizzas. We've got uh, three different flat, like uh, flatbread pizzas that we make here and uh, cheese platters. Um, but uh, the focus is very much on the wine. So we don't have a restaurant or anything like that. Um, the idea is just to offer really special wine tastings where people can you know, enjoy the wines in a, in a, you know, beautiful scenery with beautiful scenery. So back to the wine, um, where are most of your wines sold? Um, do you guys export? Yeah, so it's uh, roughly 50-50. So we, in the past, we, it was more 80 export, 20 local. We've put a lot of focus on the local markets in the last, last few years um, to develop a, a, a stronger sort of footprint locally. And uh, so now we, we had about 50, 50, um, a large portion of our local sales are through the tasting room, probably about 30% of our local sales. And then obviously just the traditional wine markets like Gauteng and in the Western Cape, PE and the garden route, um, a little, yeah, the low felt, we've got quite a good uh, partner there who sells to the lodges and a little bit in, uh, in the KZN. Um, Obviously, now we've started an online shop, which has done really well over the lockdown period. And then in exports, uh, we've, we've got quite a few international partners. Um, so we work from, uh, from the US, uh, UK, Belgium, Holland, Germany. Um, then we've got an import in Mexico, Singapore, Japan, um, a little bit to Mauritius. And then, you know, locally, we're closer to home. It's, uh, you know, Botswana and Mozambique. So it's sort of all over, but I'd say the bulk of it is, uh, is the US, is our biggest market, and, and Europe, split between UK, Belgium, Holland, and Germany. Okay, interesting. You mentioned your online shop, and obviously, you know, this whole coronavirus has really forced all of us, everyone, has to rethink their business models. Do you guys have any other changes or ideas in mind? You know, I think, you know, through this, it's obviously, it's clear that, um, direct sales are going to just get more and more um, popular. I mean, people wanting to buy directly from the seller in the comfort of their own homes, whether it's online or through other channels. But yeah, I think uh, we, we, uh, we have put a more of a focus on our online shop and, our, and we've had help from our sister with, you know, making sure that we're keeping active on social media over the lockdown period just to not lose momentum. So I think going forward, you know, the tasting room is important for us, but trade is, is still the most important. I mean, we, you know, our wines, we really want them to be drunk in restaurants and where people can really experience them. And then once they have followed that out and go and get it from retail stores. So we're not really at any of the big retailers. It's mainly the smaller independent wine shops and, and bottle stores. Um, but going forward, I think everyone realizes that direct selling and online uh, is, is more important than it than it has been in the past, I think. 
I think that's true. So what is the um, most important thing that you guys have learned from your wine journey? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, uh, I suppose, you know, we have, I think it, we haven't been in it for that long. So I've, I've been on the farm for 13 years, um, which I suppose is actually quite a long time. But uh, I think just to stick at it and be consistent. Eh? I think, you know, we had a, we're talking to a French uh, friend of my dad's when we had just started and he said, you know, it's the wine industry is only tough for the first hundred years and then it gets much easier. <laughs> you know? So I think it's, it's just keeping at it and staying consistent, you know, and I think that's where we've got to be a little bit careful nowadays in, in that, in, in following fads and fashions and what's in and what's not, you know, I think uh, we just want to do what we do the best we can um, and try not follow these sort of fashions and fads, you know? So, I mean, we've been looking at what varietals to plant over the last little while. And, you know, we know Bordeaux varietals and Pinotage, it's what we do best, you know? So we're going to stick at that. And what we're planting now has got to be working for our kids, you know, in 30, in 20 or 30 years time. So the vines are still going to be there and they're going to be producing fruit at its peak. So I think it's, it's, looking long-term, not really living in the now, and uh, yeah, not following fads, which is very kind of, it's foreign in the environment that we're kind of in at the moment, you know, in the kind of uh, everything must happen now, uh, you know, it, it's uh, looking at stuff long-term is I think something that we've really learned to do and uh, not to get kind of flustered or phased about what's happening in the short term. I think that's a very important business lesson. You know, if um, I'm just thinking back to, if you, if you look at a place like Champagne with its, with its history and um, yeah. they've, they've always, they've, they've followed the fads in marketing, but they actually, the product remained consistent over the years. Yeah. Mm. So, so I think that's quite interesting. Can you guys Absolutely. give us your um, very own wine quote? Sure. Wine. Um, you can invent one if you don't have one. Or steal <laughs> one. A wine quote. A wine quote. I'm quickly thinking of one. Uh, oh, sure. That, that you've really put us on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will have one after this. <laughs> That's for sure. If you have a glass of wine first, you got to come up with one. Yeah. <laughs> You'll come up with a few then. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't think of one now. I think, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, while, while, while you guys are thinking, I, I mean, like, I'm sorry I stumped you there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've heard Lisa from Lisa Loves Wines whispered in my ear that, um, you know, that uh, she, she's looking at doing some um, campaign on uh, Magnum bottles. And um, you pro yes. you're producing one called The Chronicle. Um, can you tell us a bit yes. more about this wine and also um, yeah, so, so the chronicle we we actually the wine itself uh began in 2002 um our estate blend um and the the concept behind the wine was to make you know we, where we do we've got very our merlot uh, aspect merlot is very site specific it's a single vineyard we do a, a very site-specific pinotage. So our single varietals are 
from very specific sites on the property. And I think one of the things that makes South Africa unique in, in terms of a wine area anywhere in the world is just our diversity in a very small space. So, I mean, we've got a 50, 55 hectare farm. We've got slopes that face every aspect. So we've got northeast, south and west facing slopes. We've got about 17 different soil types. Um, they obviously all similar parent materials, but very different soils, depending on where on the slope you are. So I think, you know, we've got this incredible diversity in a very small space. And the idea with the estate blend, which became the Chronicle about five years ago, we wanted to make a wine that represented the estate as a whole, every vintage. So we take a component from every one of our vineyard blocks. Um, and I use the, the, the amounts of each component vary every year. So there's no recipe to the blend. We just try and make the best blend we can each year. But I use a component from the whole farm uh, or components from the whole farm. So it basically chronicles every vintage on the farm where the Pinotage, the Merlot, or Sir Thomas gives you kind of a very site-specific snapshot is like an overview of the whole property. So it's a Cape blend. So it's, it's all four red varieties we grow on the property, which are Shiraz, Cabernet Savion, Merlot, and Pinotage. And uh, basically I make everything separate. I keep each block separate for a year. After a year, we'll make up blends. So we rack it, go back to barrel for another year. So it's two years in barrel, all French oak. Um, and then racked and bottled. And the, the idea with the magnums of the Chronicle is that we wanted to, to specifically on that one, make uh, do a magnum. So obviously two bottles at a more competitive price. So it's, it's less, it costs a little less than what two bottles would cost you. But the great thing about a magnum, you know, if, if, you've, if there's more than sort of three or four people at a dinner, a Magnum's an awesome size bottle because it, you know, it lasts a little longer. It does more than one round, and uh, they're just really fun to have on the table. You know, there's something something about drinking wine out of a Magnum, and then also it matures really well in Magnums. So there are a lot of benefits to uh, to larger format bottles, and uh, we wanted to basically bring that at a at a good price. So that's interesting to me, you know, um, um, because it, in um, Europe, it's becoming a bit of a fashion to take a Magnum to a party and stuff like that. We're just mm. talking about fashion and fads. Do, do you guys yeah. think it's going to be something that will take <laughs> off in South Africa a bit more and become a fashion? I, I don't know. It's such a, it's such a good question. Eh? Well, I, I, it's very difficult to say because people still always tend towards 750s, you know, to normal, normal size bottles. Uh, I think... Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it's, a, it's a strange, uh, maybe it's just habits and what people are used to, but we hope it will. I mean, for us, the Magnums have been doing really well, especially around kind of, uh, you know, around the festive season. So like around Christmas, New Year, then again in Easter. I think whenever there's sort of big gatherings or big family gatherings, people love the Magnums. But uh, General everyday wine shopping, I mean, I think it'll always be 750s. But, you know, I mean, the other thing, the Magnums are, they're big to carry. They, you know, to fit in a fridge, they don't fit as easily. So I think uh, it's, yeah, hopefully it's something that takes off. But I don't think it'll ever overtake, uh, overtake 750. 
Yeah, I think I think well at the moment there's there is something coming up where Magnums could could be um, a little bit of a yes. gift, and that's Father's Day, right? Is soon. Yes, absolutely. So, so <laughs> anybody listening should go grab a Magnum from you guys for Father's Day. I think it's a fantastic gift. Yeah. <laughs> so, cool. so guys, when when um, how do people if people want to get hold of you? How do they get hold of, of you guys? Um, um, how do they buy your wines? What what is the way? Uh, the best would be through our website, which is www.remhoogte.co.za. Um, we've got all our contact information as on there. Um, and uh, info, there's tasting notes on each of the wines, a bit of information about our accommodation and our tasting room. Um, so that's got all the basic information. Um, otherwise, anything more, they can contact us directly. Our, so email addresses and contact numbers are on the website as well. Um, otherwise, Instagram, we, we remark the wine estate and the same on, uh, same on Facebook, um, which is a good way just to see what, what we're up to as well. And then also just to add to that, I think we've got a, we've got a YouTube channel. So if you just YouTube Remwerchter or Remwerchter Wines, um, we've got tasting notes. I've sort of gone through every one of our wines. So if you're drinking one of our wines and you want to know a little bit more about it, have a look at that. They are also on our website, but you can check those videos out. Um, yeah, so I, I think Rob's pretty covered everything. Yeah. The YouTube one is great because there's a, there's a, Chris has done a, a tasting video on the Chronicle. So for those of you who buy the, the Magnum, uh, that's a good opportunity to, to get a detailed uh, tasting by Chris um, on the YouTube channel. That's amazing. I mean, I think that is also a way forward, right? To get that information and awareness about your wines and stuff out on, on, on um, a platforms like YouTube is absolutely awesome. Yeah. yeah. Guys, it's yeah. been such a pleasure. Yeah. yeah, sorry. No, yeah, I think, I think that was also a result of this whole lockdown, you know, just mm. being, trying to be more, like I, I usually, so Rob, generally does Europe and the East and then I do the US twice a year and I'm, it doesn't look like those trips are going to happen this year. So we started it for them, you know, to do basically have videos where uh, sales staff could show when they are doing tastings and uh, we've had good feedback just from yeah, the general public. So it's yeah, a cool thing to check out when you're tasting one of our wines uh, is to actually have a look at the tasting itself. Well, that's awesome. Guys, it's been a, such a pleasure talking to you. Um, I mean, it's been very interesting. Thanks. I know you guys are busy. So thank you very much for spending your time. And um, yeah, good luck with everything. And um, hopefully we will be back to normal before we know it. Thanks, Paul. Well, thanks for your time as well. It's, it's been great to tell you a bit about Remwachter. Yeah, thanks, Will. Thank you for listening to today's show. Just a quick reminder that you can get that 1.5 litre Chronicle at a 20% discount. So hurry and get in touch with Lisa at Lisa's Loves Wines. The link is in the description. This is, like I said before, the perfect Father's Day gift.